Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Making Waves, the Art of Cinematic Sound, reveals the hidden power of sound in cinema and our lives. Through film clips, interviews, and archival footage, an enlightening and, and <clears throat> an enlightening and nostalgia look at many of Hollywood's biggest box office hits. The film captures the history, the impact, and unique creative process of this overlooked art form and the artists behind it. Filled with insights from legendary directors including George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Barbara Streisand, Robert Redford, David Lynch, Ang Lee, Sofia Coppola, and Ryan Coogler, among others, who share revealing stories about award-winning work their sound collaborators helped to create. In Making Waves, we witness the wild creativity of some of the industry's most respected key sound designers, including Oscar winners Walter Mersch, Ben Burt, and Gary Rydstrom, who in pursuing their art and desire to push the medium, the very people who will go down in the history of cinema as developing sound into an immersive storytelling force that it is today. And with that, I'd like to introduce the director as well as the producer of Making Waves, the Art of Cinematic Sound, Midge Costin. Midge, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you, Mike. Really happy to be here. Thank you. I'm so happy you're here. Well, Midge, tell me a little bit about uh, your your you're in the you're obviously a filmmaker. Uh, have you always been interested in sound? And then the follow-on question would be, what was it that uh, essentially sparked you to want to do a documentary about uh, sound and filmmaking? Yes. Well, I went to film school in the '80s, and I um, the last thing I thought I would do is sound because sound always gave me panic attacks when I was working on it, and it, it just seemed technical, and I wasn't relating to to it in terms of story and character. And then, uh, to make the story short, it's like I was doing a thesis film when I came out. I finished all my classes, but I, I was starting to picture edit, which is what I wanted to do, and I apprenticed, and I assisted. And then a friend called up from film school who had become a sound editor, and he said, Midge, none of the union guys will touch 16 millimeter. I'll teach you how to cut effects. And as I tell my students, I lowered myself and took a sound job for the money because I needed to finish my thesis film. <laughs> And then once I got on it, of course, I had, then I started thinking, okay, now I've got to think in terms of story, like I'm setting the mood and the tone. I, how do I reflect character? You know, how do I think about plot points in terms of sound? And, and I just started right away because I, you know, did feel like I'm a filmmaker, like I got to help out the director do these things. So, and one job led to the next, and then I found myself like totally you know, I call myself a born-again sound person. So I'm so enthusiastic about sound, and I love to teach. So even in the 90s when I was working on these big action-adventure movies, I um, I would try to teach a class at night at USC and, and bring, you know, the word of sound to the, the young filmmakers to say, hey, you can use this for, you know, for a story and character. And then and so, and so I just really wanted to tell the story. And I started it in 2000, early 2000s, when I first started teaching full-time at USC. And I've been a professor there since then. I, I really wanted to tell this. And what happened is there was no such thing as fair use. And that came in in 2010. So that's yeah. why we started. And this took us nine years to do. But And fair use is that you can use clips. You can use, you know, 
um, material, copyrighted material, um, as long as you set it up and use it, you transform it. And that's what, um, and I knew it, we needed clips because have you ever tried to read a book on sound? It's like, not to put anyone down, there are some good books, like the <laughs> Weddington and stuff, but it's just, I don't even know what they're talking about, but it could be how my brain works. And I, I knew that we needed to use a lot of clips and we needed to show examples. Yeah. So that's how it all came about. Well, and it's funny you should say that because I think I'm, I think we share a similar sensibility when it comes to learning uh, mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a bit yeah. of dyslexia, and I think I think what it has to do with is experiencing it, right? And that's what sound yeah. is. Sounds yeah. as as you yeah. make the point in the film, it's experience, and and that's what I love yeah. about sound and great sound design is uh, it, the ability of it to put you in another, just in another part of the story or in another realm altogether. So, um, yeah. I think it's also how we experience, you know, I think vision, our vision, we think of color, light, shade. We have real awareness about it. And with sound, it hits you in this really primitive kind of way. Like it hits you in your gut almost, you know, your solar plexus. And it's kind of like lizard brain. And we just like, we hear low-end sounds, which we use all the time to kind of scare someone or, you know, put you on notice because it's like we're still like, it's like cave people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you hear a big sound and it's a big animal or it's rocks moving, it's the earthquake, it's, you know, and we're, we're just making these associations, but we're not, and we're feeling the feelings, but, and then we're perceiving, but we're not intellectualizing. It's like, right. like bypasses the brain in some way. Right. Well, I, I don't know if it's Walter Murch or who makes the point that we hear in the womb. And yes, I think that that's Walter. It was that Walter. And, and I think that's yes. so such an uh, salient observation in that in that how why in fact what you just what you just described why it affects us the way it does is because before we have the ability to comprehend our world in in, in all the senses that we have available to us we have sound and that is those are the things obviously that that are imprinted in our brains in ways that are very significant so I, I that's what I love about your film making waves is uh, in addition to seeing these amazing artists and all the different things they were doing and the filmmakers are working with, but it helps put sound and the importance of it in our lives into a into a perspective. And I'm sure that yeah. was very important yeah, to you. So really important because the fact that what I love about teaching sound is that it's not just it's almost like using film as an example uh, as you know showing how sound affects us, but also I do love the fact that it's one of our senses and that I get to teach people to listen and then to use one of their senses and sound artistically and with story, but uh, also it makes you aware in your life about, about your sense, you know, hearing and sound, and so that's really cool. Yeah. So you started this project quite some time ago. Right. Yes. So, well, th- this this version was Bobette Buster is my producing partner, and she went to Gary Rydstrom. She was working up at Pixar and got to know him, and she went to Gary Rydstrom, who's seven-time Academy Award-winning, <laughs> you know, sound guy who did stuff with Spielberg and James Cameron and, um, you know, on Pixar films. And so he and Robert Redford, so she said, why hasn't the film been done? And then she said, would you consult on and he said if you got Mitch Costin involved so it's like woohoo <laughs> so we were off and running in 2010 and then you know it was really hard to find money you know just like to get backing and I think it's because it's sound like actually so many of us in sound we're just so used to like people not having awareness like, I, I, if I can tell a yeah. brief anecdote I went down to New Zealand to the International Film Festival there and um, and I called over to Peter Jackson's people 
um, Brent Berg. And I and I said, hey, you guys coming to the screening? And it was like, oh, man, we're so embarrassed. It's like so self-deprecating. <laughs> but we thought, oh, it's a film on sound. No one will go. We'll just pick up a ticket the day of. And, of course, it was sold out. Very good. <laughs> they didn't get to see the film. No, but I brought it over to them, actually, which was fun, because then I got a, a tour of, you know, Peter Jackson's uh, Park Road, and uh, that was great. Well, well, you know, you're 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 in a what is considered a visual medium, so it's under, there's there is sort of an mm-hmm. institutional bias. I hate to put it that way, but it's yes. kind of an institutional yes. bias about sound, yes. and and or at least maybe not against sound, but no, so much as it is the primacy of of, of the yes. visual, and exactly. and yeah. so. Uh, well, just approaching these filmmakers because because you have George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Barbara Streisand, Robert Redford, David Lynch, Ang Lee, Sofia Coppola, you know, just and many more. Yeah. How what was that process like for you as in getting all of them uh, wrangled into yes. <laughs> to sitting down with you? Well, you know, it was pre- it was actually it wasn't that hard, and it was because they all respect their sound people yeah. so much that um, that that's why agreed, they agreed to do it. And they have really good relationships with them because they're, you know, close collaborators. So that was the cool part. Steven Spielberg, we almost didn't get because he was just doing back-to-back-to-back films. I think there were four, four or five films all in a row, you know, so he barely had time. But we got, you know, did catch him. And then um, yeah. and Barbara Streisand came on really interesting because <laughs> she didn't even know that she played a part in film history. Um, like, we, I, I was interviewing Yoan Allen, who's the senior vice president of Dolby, and he's senior vice president because he was the one that went to Ray Dolby and said when they were just in music, you know, and so they're doing stereo and noise reduction in music. And, and Yoan went to Ray Dolby and said, what about if we get into um, uh, movies? And he said, oh, you could go check it out. So it was Yoan who actually went to all the studios and they all listened to his pitch. And it was like, yeah, that's nice. But no, we don't really need that because they didn't want to spend the money. Yeah. To bring all their systems up from mono. I mean, Godfather was mono. You know, so everything was being done, you know, mono. And then Barbara Streisand was doing Star is Born, and she said, no, I want this. And she didn't know that it wasn't already, she thought it was an established thing, and you get to choose that or not. And she said, oh, no, no, we definitely want it. And she was so powerful and was making them so much money that they went, oh, okay. <laughs> and then Stanley Kubrick was doing Clockwork Orange at the same time, and and then Gary Kurtz and George Lucas came up with Star Wars, and they wanted it too. So that the, those are the three that really, um, you know, got it to a place of like, thank God that we moved on from mono. Right. Um, well, that, that's, yeah. that's a great story about Barbara Streisand and her making of A Star Is Born. And first of all, what you just said—the fact that theaters didn't really think that sound was significant enough to try and enhance the experience to a to a kidding them to go to Dolby stereo it's, yeah it was like pulling teeth but what's these great stories I'm sorry go ahead if you have some no I was disagreeing with you yeah it's like it's crazy and see they were hearing we were already hearing like stereo music started to sound really good you know and um because they were doing that I think with classical music like in the 50s and uh so music was sounding so much better uh, than what? uh and the movies were still mono in the '60s and '70s, That's you know. Crazy. Yeah, and 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 the and the exactly. And I love the fact that you brought into this uh, telling of the story how how in the world of 
pop music, um, as you mentioned, classical music. They, they not only had stereo, but they were starting to venture into the world of the quad quadraphonic sound. I remember that quadraphonic. This was gonna, you know, you were gonna, your mind was gonna melt if you listened to quadraphonic. It was so great. So these I, these ideas, and then Barbara comes along and says, uh, Miss Streisand, I should say, uh, comes along and says, uh, I I'm going to devote a whole bunch of money to the sound. Uh, first star is born. I just thought that was a great story, and and sort of the that was a yeah. It's a there's so many stories in this film that are even if you're not a you know a film geek, they're just interesting stories and how they push an art form forward. It's one small step at a time, but then once in a while, along comes a kind of a tidal wave. And in this case, it was technology came along in a way that really pushed all of the things that are in your film uh, to a great distance uh, forward. So, God, there's some risk really and some great people in this film. Um, and I do want to talk about Walter and Ben and Gary and Anna. So let's talk about the people that are really the the stars of the film, Walter Mersch, let's, uh, or whoever you would like to, to talk about in terms yes. of their contribution, however you want to tee well, that up. Well, I mean, you can't, to talk about, Sound, you have to talk about Walter Murch because here he was. He did everything mono, and, and Richard Beggs and Mark Berger, who were, were his um, co-recording masters um, on Apocalypse Now. So the, the thing about Walter, though, even when he did Godfather and when he was doing like he did THX, you know, and he was doing other films, I think he uses sound incredibly like well with story because I think he thinks of sound in terms of metaphor. And so it's really this deep kind of, you know, understanding of sound and how to use it. And he, because he was, he was playing around with sound when he was, a, when he was a kid, you know, and I think that it just like, it, he just knew it was really creative and doing kind of his own little music on crack. And then, but then he's, as Randy Tom says, he's the father of us all in sound because <laughs> it was, it was Francis Ford Coppola who, who heard when he was shooting, um, Apocalypse Now in the Philippines, he heard that quad sound of uh, Tamita album, and he, and you know you put four speakers in the corners of the room, and then you hear the um, uh, you hear this great sound. He goes, "That's how I want my movie to sound," and they had to make it up because those got none of those three guys, Walter, Richard Beggs, or Mark Berger, had done anything but mono. And um, so they, and then that, of course, became the, the you know, the, the standard of what we do even today, you know, and just like surround 5.1 essentially is what they created. Yeah. And, um, you know, and so that was, you know, and, and Francis thought that it was so, Francis Ford Coppola thought, you know, that it was going to be so original that he thought that he was going to have like a pavilion in Kansas somewhere and people would come like Disneyland just <laughs> to hear that film because it wouldn't be able to play anywhere else like that. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And um, and of course, because it wasn't, you know, this, everyone is, well, probably most people heard it mono. Who know, you know, at that time, yeah. in theaters everywhere in the country. So so he's amazing, and it's like, and and Walt is just so good about kind of push, and he always leads with the creativity, and that's what all of those guys do. So then Ben Bird, I mean, the reason why Ben did so well is like again he played with sound so much as a kid and he was a filmmaking when he was a kid but he started recording off a of television as a kid and you know i think it's walter so maybe it's some kind of psychology thing but they say if you're whatever you're doing between 11 and 14 you know play kind of playing or your avocation or something you know sometimes um, that's what you end up doing in life but also it's the, that 10,000 hours and i think 
they had both put um, yeah. so much, um, you know, time in. But Ben, the, also the reason why Ben did so well too is that uh, Lucas calls him on an hour. I mean, you know, calls him in to start working on sound a year before he even started shooting. You know, so he goes out and he gets to record like all these things and really think. And that's what what you know you want to do is you want to kind of have sounds kind of percolating in your head. You read the script and then you want to think of like, what am I going to use? And the more time you have, the clearly you know the more creative it could be. So I don't want I want people to understand that there is the editing process that Walter and his colleagues came up with, I mean, they really reinvented the way that you edited sound, and thankfully he had a director who was so committed to making that sound not only be the sound of the film, but also the other cues, the other dramatic impact of the sound. He wanted it to to be the entire palette of your experience. So I, I, I so admire yep. someone who, who literally was inventing something on the fly, under a lot of pressure, I might add, to do it right. Yep. And that that's an amazing yep. accomplishment on their part, all three of them that were working yep. on it. Would you say? Yeah, it was amazing. Yes, absolutely. But Walter does give, and we don't have it, I think, in the interview, but when you know how they split up the different types of, like, Pat Jackson had the boat, she talks about that. Right. She just she right. did the boat throughout the whole yeah. um, film of Pop Now, and then somebody does the ambience and all that. And he said he got that. Actually, that's how they were doing it. And he had two British guys who were working with them, and that's how they were, I think, doing it. But he took, but he took that system, you know. So it was really smart. Yeah. Well, I want to um, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Midge Costin, and she is the director and producer of the film Making Waves: The Art of Cinematic Sound. It comes out here today in Los Angeles, October 25th, Friday, October 25th. Curious if you're going to be in town here for any Q&As at any of the theaters. I am. Okay. Yeah, on, okay, so it's really going to be fun. October <laughs> 25th, we're going to be at the Arclight with the Ben Bird. <gasps> and um, I can look at, I know, and Benny Bird, his son might be there, so that's really cool. So um, you're there on Benny the 25th. You're there on the 25th. The 25th. Or, yeah, the 9th and the 25th of October uh, at the Hollywood Arclight. On the 26th, we're going to be at the Fine Arts um, the Aria Fine Arts on Wilshire uh-huh. in Beverly Hills. That's a big theater. And we're going to have Walter Murch and Gary Rydstrom. Oh, my. And, um, yeah, and again, I'll be there and my producing partners. So that will be really fun. So that's crazy great. <laughs> and then we're going to gonna be there for the, well, Walter Murch. We might have a big guest. I cannot say who it is, but that's going to be at the Academy on uh, Sunday in kind of midday, and then um, that's an academy event. But then on um, Sunday night, we're going to go to the Lemley Monica, the the Monica yeah. Film Center, yep. and we're going to be there for an evening screening, and um, I'm going to be there with, um, I have to look, I think that one might be like Eric Adol and like like three fun filmmakers. It might be Eileen Lee and Dane Davis. So, um, yeah, each time we're at least like three um sound great sound designers will be there and then um yeah and then the next week november 1st we're up at um the arc light in pasadena and um so yeah so we're going to be up there too and again we're setting that up that might be cc hall richard anderson and richard anderson 
the guy that went to film school with Ben, and they tell those funny stories, you know, yeah. in, uh, yeah. and he, he recorded Chewbacca with him. Yes. And Cece Hall did Top Gun, and um, so, yeah. And then Vicki uh, Sampson, who did, uh, she's in the story she talks about, in the film she talks about doing Ordinary People with Robert um, Redford. So it's really fun. And then we're also going to go to New York um, and do a screening, I think, on um, October 28th. So Fantastic. Yeah, we're, what, a, we're, what, a, what a week. I know. It's so fun. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so great. Well, and and everyone's so willing to do it. So it's going to be a lot of fun to hear these, um, to do the Q&A after with these great chats. Well, it's time that sound got its due. I mean, I know I know people in the industry are uh, deeply attuned to the idea of sound, especially in this day and age. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But in terms of the sort of the public perception of the importance of it, this is it's lagging behind what the what the professionals know. I just want to say how much fun I had with this film, uh, Making Waves, The Art of mm-hmm. Cinematic Sound, and how it there are documentaries that come along every once in a while where they they shine a light on a part of uh, our world or our, our entertainment. It's a great experience. I think of uh, 20 Feet from Stardom in the some, kind of in the same category as this film where these are people that often labor in the shadows and we, we know their work, but we don't know their work. We don't know them either. Yeah. And so in that regard, yeah. I, f- I feel like 20 Feet from Stardom and this are sort of cousins of sorts. And I, for people who've seen that and how many people love that movie, this is the same kind of experience. So, uh, Great. yeah. So, well, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Midge Costin, again for uh, for the work and for finding some time to spend with us. Thanks a lot, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 